0: These laissez-faire legislators and governors, that's a long two words for lazy and inability to critically analyze what the heck is happening. They gave the guys at ERCOT a blank check and they wrote it for more than $50 billion that week. They've also spent $28 billion more than we would have spent had we remained a vertically integrated and regulated market. Add that, the tens of billions of of dollars of damages and the dozens of deaths, just ridiculous. No corporation's gonna move into Texas at this rate. As the storm hit Texas, power generating plants across the state were knocked offline. Without that supply, the Electricity Reliability Council of Texas, known as ERCOT, ordered utilities to cut power to homes inside the statewide power grid.
1: The purpose of having an electricity market is to deliver electricity to homes and businesses, right? Yes. And we know that for several days, electricity didn't go to homes and businesses, right? Quite
0: a few of them.
2: The lawsuit alleges gross negligence by the power grid operator and the electricity provider, saying it led to the death of 11-year-old Christian Pendenda. It's
1: just hard to say in any aspect that it's a success because there was so much suffering and and damage and we never want to see this again.
2: Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Part three of the ERCOT series, the finale, and I am joined by president and founder of eRenewable, Mr. Mike Niemer, as we put a bow on this three-part series on ERCOT and what went down and what needs to happen moving forward. Nobody better to talk about that than our final guest of the series, Mr. Ed Hers, longtime ERCOT expert lecturer over at the University of Houston. But before we get to him, uh, Mike, we've learned a tremendous amount of what's gone on with ERCOT from all sides the inner workings behind the scenes what needs to happen from a number of different voices and I've got to say through these first two parts of the series great feedback that we've gotten thus far and just a tremendous amount of knowledge and insight that you haven't heard anywhere else
1: well you know Fred anytime you can get listeners that give you a written response to the podcast you posted that's a success absolutely and- We are, how many podcasts have we done? 26, 27. Uh, Episode
2: 26 was the last one. Yes, sir.
1: Okay. We've done 26 podcasts. And this series is the first series of podcasts we've done where customers have actually emailed us talking about what we did.
2: No, absolutely. We're
1: getting better. We're doing something right. We're educating the, uh, the industry like we wanted to do. And that was the mission of this podcast. So, Mission accomplished with regard to the ERCOT series, and we appreciate all the listeners uh, giving us that feedback, because good or bad, we want to hear it, because it does make the podcast better.
2: No, it absolutely does. So, without further ado, please welcome Part 3 of the ERCOT series, Mr. Edward Hurst. What, in your estimation, has been the biggest single problem with ERCOT that led to the breakdown February
0: 15th? The generation companies have not been able to cover their, their costs. The revenues on average that they've received over the last 10 years don't cover their cost. And so they really have no incentive to add capacity or keep it ready. They have no incentive to reinvest. They're not making a return on capital for their investors, their shareholders. And so in the electricity only market that we have in in Texas, generation companies only get paid when they're turning electrons into the grid. And and this ranges actually from prices at various points to very high prices uh, in August. Maximum demand in in Texas is generally uh, assessed at about, say, 75 gigawatts in August. That's what the the grid is is pointed to being able to handle. But on average, it's only about 45 gigawatts across the rest of the year on, on average. And so that means 30 gigawatts of capacity for ten or eleven months is on the sidelines, not making any money whatsoever, and so there's no incentive for the companies to keep this equipment ready to go uh, in a winter time in a in a one in ten type of of situation. They're not compensated, and and quite honestly, why would they want to keep this equipment ready to go if all they're going to do is make sure the price stays low? I mean. By not having that equipment online, by not having it ready to go, they essentially force the market into a short squeeze and very high prices, which which of course leads to great profits for the units they do have operating. In the aftermath of 2011, the legislature and Governor Rick Perry had to face the fact that the market was broken. They refused to address it.
2: So here we are now with things that have happened in the past. Something has to get done, correct? Well, of course, something has to be done. I mean, this is This has
0: exposed a vital competitive weakness for Texas. The only thing Mississippi has to do now for its economic development campaign are run a couple of clips from those hearings in Austin. I mean, for goodness sake, how, how stupid of the legislature and the governor not to have acted before now.
1: You think it's going to take maybe some subsidies from the state, winterize the generation a little bit because of the cost to help us ratepayers not have to pay the bill because our kilowatt price has to go up if all these changes do take place?
0: Well, the You're- voter is going to pay for it one way or the other, either yeah. out of his right pocket as a consumer or out of his left pocket as a taxpayer. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's exactly these, right.
0: Yeah. These, these laissez faire legislators and governors, that's a long. Two words for lazy and inability to critically analyze what the heck is happening. They gave the guys at ERCOT a blank check and they wrote it for more than $50 billion that week. They've also spent $28 billion more than we would have spent had we remained a vertically integrated and regulated market. Add that the tens of billions of, of dollars of damages and the dozens of deaths. Just ridiculous. No corporation's gonna move into Texas at this rate. Why would they?
1: Do you advocate ERCOT trying to tie into the neighboring states so we could wheel power back and forth? Are you the, the uh, group that would just sooner stay independent and stay our own grid?
0: Well, you know, quite honestly, who would have us? Why would anybody in the Eastern Interconnect or the Western Interconnect want to connect to a failed system? There's no way they can support Texas. It just can't happen. At most, six gigawatts of capacity were available during the, the fiasco. We were short 30 gigawatts. Mm-hmm. You know, California imports 30th of its daily electricity requirements. Uh, you know, what a surprise. The heat wave that settled over California in August also settled over Oregon, Washington, Wyoming, and Arizona. You know, there was no excess power for California to import. You know, if we can't fix our own house, then you know there's nobody who would want to tie in with us. We're, we're not going to make them more stable.
2: Why wouldn't they want to tie in for the simple fact that you just said that on average, there's 30,000 gigawatts sitting on the sideline. So if you know now, now that 30,000 gigawatts might be in play.
0: I don't think that's possible until we, we invest the money first. Somebody's got to pay for that.
2: As far as what? As far as what? Just the, the changes or just the generation?
0: The changes. Our, our grid... Is is not resilient. Mm -hmm. It's not hardened. It's not winterized. You know the fact that the CEO of ERCOT was congratulating ERCOT for only losing forty percent of the grid and uh, and avoiding avoiding a black start uh, that could take months. I think he said months.
2: He did. That's correct.
0: So California, the Southern California grid, had a total black start in twenty eleven. They were up within hours. The Atlantic seaboard had a black star. Thing went down when a, a branch in a tree cutting problem in, in Cleveland, you know, shorted some wires out. Why would anybody want to move to Texas with a corporation, with employees, with people when they see our infrastructure in this kind of condition? You know, the legislature with the bills that have been introduced. You now these are little band aid fixes. These are not addressing the structural
2: challenges in the market. So Ed Hers, put your ERCOT hat on, all right? And and if if Greg Abbott came to you and said, Ed, we've heard you loud and clear, give us your uh, give us your plan to fix ERCOT. What are you doing?
0: The governor has got to have some sort of political integrity to stand up and make a move in that direction. I've got some thoughts and plans on this, and. It, You know, it's easy. We've talked about it. ERCOT needs to to have its two functions separated until we can go back to to looking after customers of Texas, the the taxpayers of Texas, our economic engine. This is just falling on deaf ears. There's, you know, they've introduced the bills. I guess they can for this session. There's nothing there that's going to fix it. We're going to have to do a special session later on. I've not had any calls from the governor or anyone in Austin something does have to give. The governor has made it his priority and he's added it to his list of uh, 31 priorities for this legislative session. You know, frankly, I would consider this a a primary goal to achieve, a, a, a very significant priority. If you don't have electricity, you know, how are you going to accomplish the other 30 different items? I mean, you know, without electricity, his cell phone doesn't work. Without electricity, the traffic lights don't work. We also know that we've got problems with our water infrastructure and natural gas infrastructure. This has exposed a, a weak underpinning of Texas infrastructure. And uh, you know it, it's not clear to me that the legislature and the executive understand the, the, the weakness of the Texas economy at this point.
1: The next election that comes up may be quite interesting, depending on who runs against them and how strong they are within their field and knowledge of the IRCOB market. There could be an interesting platform to see what happens if they don't do something before that election. Yeah,
0: you know, it's it's pretty apparent that, that no one is, at least in the political sphere, has, has, been, has started thinking that way. In California, there are enough signatures now on a petition and the recall election for Governor Gavin Newsom uh, is going to be held in a matter of months now. We all know that's what happened to Governor Gray Davis after the 2001 energy debacle in California. That's what brought us the gubernator, Governor Arnold Schwartz. I don't know that Texas has a gubernator standing in the wings ready to go and (laughs) Were this an election year? I think we'd we'd see a lot more attention to business in Austin.
2: I gotta believe though that the smarter heads will prevail, and this thing will get fixed. Because again, you don't have what the ninth largest GDP in the world by accident being the state of Texas. With a you know, if you don't fix what's what's ailing the state,
0: well, as, as you just alluded to, smart smart heads you know, people
2: help. <laughs> true, true. I guess that's the that's the million dollar question, right?
0: Well, I mean, we, we you know, just look at, look at how they managed the, the COVID crisis, the pandemic. And the state of Texas has billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars invested in, in the finest medical centers in the world, and nobody's listening to what their doctor tells them to do. So, uh, you know, the grid is, is um, obviously uh, not getting anyone's attention. If, if the medical center can't get the executive and the legislature's attention, how is a mere four or five dozen deaths, 50 billion taken out of consumers' pockets, billions and billions more of losses, economic humiliation? This is what you get. You get what you pay for.
2: Mr. Hers I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I I get the sense that you're rather pessimistic that this thing's going to get turned around and, and, and fixed correctly.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything that that gives me any uh, confidence that it's going to be addressed correctly in this session. This this is a real serious issue. I mean, we, we had a yeah, I was here in Houston in '89 with the you know, single digit temperatures for days on end. The, we had the polar vortex in 2011. This is going to be a uh, if not common occurrence. Yeah. One in 10. One in 10 is a lot more frequent than what you buy fire insurance for for your house. Magnus, during his, his ERCOT testimony, said, well, some of the people are hedged. Yeah, some people lost money, but they were financial players. You know, dismissive, condescending, arrogant. It's almost like saying, yeah, I lit fire to your house, but you have State Farm to cover it, so it's no loss for you. You know, this sort of uh, uh, ridiculous, high-handed, uh, attitude, without accountability. A blank check given to ERCOT and the Public Utility Commission yeah, even is it, ridiculous. Even the ERCOT Independent Market Monitor, someone who worked for ERCOT this time last year, threw a fire mm-hmm. and said, this $16 billion is egregious. It's it's piling on, it's targeting. And then the, the only remaining member of the Public Utility Commission says, well, we can't undo $16 billion. The rules say we should, We can, but, you know, what would that do for the confidence in the financial markets or other markets? Well, what do you think? You know, you're not even playing by the rules you're supposed to be playing by, and those are bad enough. And now you've been called out by the independent market monitor, a handpicked, former employee of ERCOT, who is now, you know, ramped up income by going to the consulting group, and everything's kind of behind the curtain because ERCOT, on the one hand, claims it it's not subject to open records it's a private entity but in the meantime in the state supreme court ERCOT is arguing that it's entitled to sovereign immunity as a unit you know I'm sure at this point they're trying to to get this move to Cancun since obviously the supreme court <laughs> likely had a problem with their power and water being mm-hmm. out what do you think
2: what was kind of your takeaway from renewables and, and what does the renewable industry in Texas need to do moving forward after what happened uh, a few weeks ago?
0: Yeah, no, nobody expected renewables to carry the load. I mean, losing 30 gigawatts of generation capacity is, what, 23 gigawatts more than renewables, or in this case, wind was supposed to, to be contributing at the time? Right. Yeah, this is this is a systemic failure. It's It's a failure from the top down. This is no swipe at renewables. You know, the grid's supposed to be resilient, supposed to be, I mean, we all know that the hottest days in Texas are the days when the wind doesn't blow. So, you know, there there should be enough spare capacity, reserve capacity available. And so, you know, we're not in the situation of having uh, outrun the, the physical generation plant, such as California has with its, you know, very accelerated closing of fossil fuel generation, nuclear uh, facilities as well, and and so California got out in front of itself in terms of relying upon the uh, uh, the renewable energy to supplant the the grid. They also have a, apparently a, a serious problem of wiring because many of the homeowners, most of them, in fact. Had their solar panels come offline because they're wired directly to the grid first instead of to the house, right? And without an ability to switch back and forth, so you know California's got its own challenges, no question about it. They've been dealing with them. You know, Texas did not learn from the California debacle in 2000, 2001. Could have, could have, could have changed the market at that point. Could have adapted any anything a capacity market such as uh, ISO has, such as PJM, New York ISO, New England ISO. Yeah, you know, We could have gone down that road, but the legislature and the governor refused to.
1: Is that a viable option in Texas to start a capacity
0: market here? Oh, yes, it's it's a viable option, but it's just a component. And it's not going to underlying this underlying problem of a, basically a decayed infrastructure. I pointed out in, in 2013, Texas was going down the road of an old-style Soviet Industrial Bureau. We need to make some serious investments in our uh, grid infrastructure to, to get us up to a competitive level with other states.
2: Two things. One, talking about the grid, and we've talked about this time and time again, is that you know, we all everybody wants to go more electric. And so it, it, I mean you're going to have to do something with the grid because, again, if we're going to be stressing it that much more, something you figure know, there's going to have to be changes made if we're going to be uh, you know, electric fleets, electric cars, what have you. So how does that take place? And then two, do you see a rise in microgrids in Texas as a result of this?
0: Well, yeah, we're going to have to spend a bunch of money to to advance the grid. The transformer behind the house pops off, blows up every 18 months. You know, shrapnel going all across the neighborhood. They're designed to to cycle up and down during. They have to get new technology deployed across the state to, to manage you know, basically a, a large demand in the evening. If we start plugging in electric vehicles, yeah, you know, electric vehicles make perfect sense. Um, there's no reason in the world why. You know, a, a two car family shouldn't have one electric and, and, and one for camping trips and, and major, major evacuations because of weather events. Right. Um, microgrids, that's essentially an admission that the main grid's not very reliable. You know, HEB challenged Center Point Energy in front of the Public Utility Commission last year, about this time. Uh, Center point wanted an increase in the rates. HEB argued and said, hey look you know your reliability stinks. I've had to buy backup generators for all of my stores. that's why HEB didn't go down during the event. they have generators in their stores uh, their own little microgrids, if you will. The, the Bo Commission in a, in a rare moment of, of clarity, a slam center point, uh, cut the rate instead of agreeing to uh, hold it steady or, or give them what they'd asked for as a rate increase. Later the next week, the CEO was, was fired. Um, the, the next CEO left after several months. Now they have an oil field services guy in as the CEO. Who knows how that's going to turn out.
2: On a scale of 1 to 10, final question. In all your years of doing this, Mr. Hers, how confident are you that this thing will get fixed? Right now, uh, about a two. Thank you once again to Mr. Ed Hers, hers.com and longtime lecturer over at University of Houston. Great stuff from Mr. Hers. Gotta say, Mike, not short on opinions and not short on his thoughts on how this thing with ERCOT's played out and why it came to what happened three weeks ago.
1: He is not short on opinions, and you can appreciate anybody sharing their opinion when they have passion behind it. And Mr. Ed Hers is passionate about his belief the research is done and his opinion of the market. And that's appreciated. I want to personally thank him for being on our show.
2: Listen, this guy could have gone, he could have been real arrogant about things and said, you know, I told you so and, and been real flamboyant and arrogant about it but I think it was more of just just kind of consternation. I mean, it's one of those deals where, again, he's been telling people, this is what's going to happen and, again, it's been unheeded. He's been trying to tell folks and it, it, it literally played out uh, the way he's been predicting it for years now. So, again, this is not his, uh, you know, this could have been his victory lap moment and, of course, he's been all over the place and, again, like you said, Mike, we certainly appreciate him taking time out of his schedule but, uh, again, Again, a, a, a very special warning and, and a lot of good information there from Mr. Hers, uh Just saying, listen, ERCOT, need, this, this situation needs to be addressed. Kicking the can down the street has to stop. And again, he talked about it from an economic standpoint and how it affects the entire state of Texas, which is something that we really hadn't heard thus far.
1: Oh, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, we have to do something. We can't repeat this performance the only way to do something is winterize get everybody in position to where when we get to 10 degrees to 5 degrees, as Steve Burbeck said, go 5 degrees cooler for your risk factors, be able to handle that, and we, we save the 50 plus people that died that it, didn't have to happen
2: it absolutely did not, so once again uh, big shout out and thank you to Mr. Ed Hurz. you can find him at edherz.com it's his website, and then of course you can follow him on Twitter as well, at edherz, that's at edherz Everything that could have gone wrong in this situation, planning the storm, renewables, fossil fuels, anything that could have gone wrong, literally did. And short of the black start, which Ken Donahue talked about at length, and thank God it didn't get to that. But again, this was the perfect storm that happened. And and again, ERCOT, blame them, dislike them. Say what you want about him. Bill Magnus is out of a job now because of it. It could have been a lot worse, and I guess that's the part that that nobody wants to hear, but it could have been.
1: Yeah, you know, let's face it. Four minutes and 29 seconds from it being a heck of a lot worse than it was. I mean, people don't understand. We wouldn't have been out of power for just a day or two. Had we meant that next four minutes and 29 seconds without being turned back on, we could have been a month. Oh, we'd be out right now. Uh, Ken Donahue did a great job explaining that in his segment of our series, and uh, it's information you don't get everywhere else. But you know, when you hear everybody talk, let's let's go back to the storm in 2011, mm-hmm. and said, "Okay, we want to suggest everybody winterize all their facilities." Well, they only suggested it. Exactly. They suggested it, and then they only spot check out of the 600 facilities in the United States. 100 facilities a year, and guess what? You know what the penalty is you don't winterize? Nothing. There was no penalty for anybody to have to pay if they didn't do the winterization they were supposed to do. That starts part of the problem right there. So how do we come out of this storm and we jump right back to 70 degrees? How do we make sure that the generators do not forget what happened and truly follow through with the winterization plan because that makes all the difference in the world
2: so, uh, ERCOT's got their hands full, and again, it's going to be a complete reshuffling. And uh, once again, I want to thank everybody that took part in this, Steve Berber, Ken Donahue, Ben Parvey, and uh, Evan Caron, and as well as Mike, uh, for their participation in, in all of this. And uh, like I said, we was, it was a great, we learned a lot, and I know just, again, from the folks that we've heard back from and some of the folks that are still listening to it, uh, I know they've, they've gotten some, something out of it as well. So, listen, we've got some great episodes coming up. I know we've got Kay McCall, Executive Director of Real Houston. Which is uh, Renewable Energy Alliance Houston, a nonprofit here that is uh, bringing the renewable energy front to the energy capital of the country. Very excited about having her on. Uh, Kay's been in the business for over 30 plus years on both the oil and gas and on the renewable side. So she brings a very interesting perspective uh, to this. And of course, she says, and, and, and again, I'll give you a little tease here just from talking to her. She said that, you know, retrofitting. Now, you know, we've heard from some folks that retrofitting is not as, as easy as it sounds, all right, and that it is costly. Kay on the other hand who was a CEO of a wind company and and dealt with it back in Sandy back in the day. She said it's not as hard as people make it out to be and, and that it is doable. She goes it just it go, again it just goes down to cost. She goes but that's, you know, that's obviously a conversation that we'll we'll have with her when we have her on the podcast. So looking forward to that, but I know you've got a couple of folks as well. You
1: know, we want to still not let the URCOT series completely die.
2: We're definitely going to keep folks going because the story story's not going anywhere anytime soon and some might say, "Well, you know, what is the renewable factor in it?" Well, Again, renewables are a big part of ERCOT, and so as long as ERCOT's in the news, we will certainly keep folks abreast of what's going on uh, with this ERCOT situation. Of course, you know, we're here in Houston as well, so uh, obviously it it touches us and a lot of folks here in the state of Texas. But we will uh, get back to some non-ERCOT news as soon as uh, our episode next week.
1: Yes, sir. Next week we'll be dropping a podcast with our guest being Beth Vaughn, the Executive Director of the California Community Choice association known as the Cal CCA. So Beth will join us next Wednesday. We'll take a detour from Murcott, go out to California, find out what her and her 24, 25 utilities, municipal members are doing out there and uh, get updated out in the West. And then following that, we'll come back into Houston and, and do some more local news. Absolutely. So, uh,
2: listen, this is the spot to be, folks. Uh, we appreciate everybody. This is the Green Insider Podcast. Make sure you give us a follow. Uh, check us out on LinkedIn as well, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast, so you can find out what's going on with eRenewable, uh, all the events and all the, the uh, news that we've got going on with the company as well. Also, too, for the Green Insider fans out there, make sure you check us out on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you listen to us on Apple iTunes, we ask that you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating. Why? Because we Promise that you'll learn more about renewable energy and or ERCOT, whatever the topic may be, than you knew before you drop by. So also to give us a follow on Twitter at eRenew 2020, at Mike underscore Niemer N-E-M-E-R, and at the freddie d mike Neemer, thank you so much as always uh great stuff from you and again like i said uh more stuff coming from e-renewable and the green insider podcast and of course that wouldn't be made possible without all the great listeners out there for mike Neemer, i am fred davis this has been the green insider podcast powered by e-renewable we make going green easier